Podcasters, hear me. It is true what many of you have heard. You need to have your entire podcast library hosted. And as I speak, the solution is here. I stand here before you, truthfully, unafraid, because the Podcaster Matrix is here. Let us shake these microphones, guests, and legacies. Plug into the real world podcast hosting solution now at podcastermatrix.com. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, Shield, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement, and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. The final countdown to a conclusion inside any story is always one fraught with peril, speed bumps, and potential interest-killing hijinks. One wrong step can send the entire apple cart characters, story, and all into a chasm from which there is no rescue. Inside the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we are delivered a true start of a countdown we will never forget. Death, life, memories, and pain are all part of the puzzle. But there is also so much more. It's time for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 7, the final season, Episode 11, Brand New Day. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Would you like that on a bun with two N's? I am, of course, referring to Cullen Bunn, one of our favorite horror writers and masters of conjuring horror concepts inside of comic bookdom. I happened to catch a live of his on Facebook the other night that was just delicious. Hmm. And it's because he's spilling some of the projects that he's working on. And as he's spilling some of the projects that he's working on, he's revealing some tidbits about a master project that he's working on. For those that don't know the Cullen Bunn story... Colin and I came to St. Louis more than 25 years ago. Uh, The difference is that I remember meeting Colin while he was walking on the side of the road away from a broken down truck. And he happened to be a dude that I stopped and picked up and got him to a gas station. And we said our our goodbyes. And then I think a decade or so went by. And lo and behold, here he is climbing the ladder of being able to write comic books galore and getting story writing credits and all kinds of other stuff inside of comic book dumb. And so now... He is one of the premier writers for not just comic books, but graphic novels of every kind, his own his own works. He's featured in many different things. We'll, we'll have a link over to Cullen's biography and mediography, really. 
and I wanted to encourage all of you to go check it out, but we'll also get a link to his most recent live because it really is a ton of fun. I love that he's still just a dude. I love that he's still just an idea conjuring dude, and he wants to surround himself with a bunch of other dudes that just want to talk about cool things. Again, that's Cullen Bunn. We're going to link up to him so that you guys can enjoy him as much as I enjoy Cullen Bunn, even if I'm not helping his ass away from a broken truck. Nick, that's all I got for housekeeping. Let's jump straight into the review of this episode. It's season seven, the final season, episode 11, Brand New Day. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. Daisy and the concept of guilt. Guilt is an incredibly powerful emotion. And when it's used appropriately inside of things like this television show, it's wonderful. The drive and again, we're, we're treated totally to looks without saying anything that holds so much emotion and, and dialogue, but there's not a word uttered at all on the front end. And I'm, I'm so impressed that they can, not only does this show in the literal sunset of this last final, there's not going to be any more season. Not only are they comfortable to do that, it fits perfectly into the puzzle of what they're weaving in regard to storytelling. Right. And just uh, it, it struck me that you get so much silence on the front end of this episode where, you know, every other program, any other, especially just a colloquial program, they would be running a thousand miles per hour every single instant of every single episode during a final season. This one understands the ebb and flow and how incredibly valuable it can be and the the value that uh, the conveyance of a message inside of silence which is showcased at least four or five different times here. Right. Inside this episode is really extraordinary. Yeah, it's well, it's a great motivator too. Guilt, anger, love, the strong emotions, envy, all of these things are great motivators and where Daisy is concerned in this episode, wow. Because she runs the gambit. Totally great. She totally runs the gambit when it comes to emotions because after last episode, you kind of think, well, shit, Daisy's done. I mean, she's just been destroyed. Mm -hmm. You know, she she had that tender moment with her mother that she never was able to get in the other timeline and then taken away. It's over. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. What, what I also appreciated, and we're going to talk about it way more in depth later on, but during this literal roller coaster ride that she experienced inside this episode, not once, very much like inside of previous episodes where you've got Jaying and Daisy talking to each other. Not once does it get melodramatic. Even in the one, even in the pieces parts where you're going, ah, the cul-de-sac of melodramatic. Wow, I can't <laughs> wait to get there and meet all the people. Well, you don't. It's never given that way at all, and it is so refreshing that they're able to do that. And I, again, I, I wish that so many more people would watch this and then emulate it inside of their own programs because it's so appreciated. Cora being nice doesn't compute nor does her wanting to be an agent of shield in other television shows this would stick out like a sore thumb inside of the final season of a show that's being written as well as it is inside of this show the gloves have come off man what is going on here it's an absolute 
quandary at the front end of the episode. Well, in other TV shows, I think they would have played it up for the shock value of a villain wants to be a good guy. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah. And we don't get any of that. Well, no, we don't get any of that because this show's... And again, we're not comparing it to any specific show out there, but this show isn't stupid. Yeah. Yeah, And and it also knows that its audience isn't stupid. Yeah. Just like all of the agents, we sitting at home also know you're lying. Yeah. You're lying and we don't believe you at all. And let's see how you you, you do your little tap dance because... We all we're not buying it. Yeah. And what I also love, too, is that I think it's actually mentioned here inside of some of the notes, but you actually have the character saying the dialogue of what the people at home are thinking. Yeah. And again, they this show handles that so masterfully. I I don't have the I don't have the praise words large enough to explain how impressed I am by how this show and these actors handle dialogue that could get so quickly drenched with that end of the Incredibles moment. Where there's a whole bunch of monologuing, and there's a whole bunch of heroes speak, and there's a whole bunch of monologuing, and there's a whole bunch of heroes speak. Oh, we don't have any of that. There's none of that inside this episode. And it, again, it, it goes back to my intro for this episode, where those are the speed bumps and the valleys and the the peaks that usually, you know, you get over the peak and wow, we got some air. And then you land and you land on your face, <laughs> and it's over, and nobody nobody can recover from any of it. None of that happens here at all. And again, just extraordinary writing and, and, and the, the, the choice of pacing also. We, we've talked about it so much, and I know people get sick of us jumping on it, but the choice of pacing inside this episode is also incredibly exquisite. And it speaks directly to this concept of watching and riding the Korra wave during this entire episode. I, I, it was extraordinary, all of it. The CGI with the Zephlorian. Uh, again, <laughs> we, we, it's a bunch of, and we've also mentioned this year that, but it's true. The, everything that was used for the Zephlorian, in particular the stuff when they were in space with the Zephlorian, is all just so incredibly vibrant. It's Hollywood movie quality. And uh, the, the there are so many little details that are, are shared, uh, not only just when special effects are evoked, but the especially the front end of this episode, the camera handling is just so... Well done. Mm. There's never a part where I feel somebody's on a tripod someplace and we're capturing some actors that walk by a screen. Ever. Right, right. Nothing. And uh, again, just, you know, okay, everybody put your A game on and let's make this last season awesome. Objective secured, fear not. (laughs) Right. And I think it comes down to the fact that we're now able to have the technology to tell the stories we want to tell especially in this genre of sci-fi fantasy adventure. Mm -hmm. And for me, the future lies in give the shows the money that they need to pull off the effects, even if that means you're only doing 10 episodes a season. Yeah. Because then that means all 10 episodes are going to look Hollywood movie quality. Yeah. And I would rather have 10 awesome episodes back to back to back to back then 22 <laughs> right then 22 episodes and maybe oh 11 of them were really good mm-hmm. i don't want that yeah i don't want that yeah. at all and and we need to get out of that and and it's happening it is happening it's just not happening fast enough 
Deke-hard. <laughs> As this episode started, I'm like, okay, Deke was left alone inside of this impregnable fortress. It's Nakatomi Plaza. And then it's sure as shit. He goes, just like Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> and I just, I cackled. It was so much fun. And what I also love is that while it's going in that direction, you're like, oh my God, how many nods to the the indomitable diehard will there be inside this episode? I can't wait. Ooh, and I start clapping like a child. None. There's None. zero. There's absolutely nothing about that movie that's inside this episode. You get two diehard references. <laughs> the Nakatomi Plaza reference and then the Yippee Kaye mother. Yeah. And then it's done. And, and then it, Yeah, and, and then it's done. And, it's like, and then he gets captured. And it's like, oh, okay. Because personally speaking, I would have been fine with some Deke hijinks on the Zephlorian a la Die Hard. Yeah. I would have been fine with that yeah. because I know the writers would have done it well. Yeah. But the fact that we don't get that, yeah. and they, they, they trick us, making us think we're going to get one thing, <laughs> and then immediately, they don't play with us, they immediately take it away yeah. when young Garrett shows up with the with the night-night rifle, and, and, and you get, okay, so no more joke here. It was tremendous. It, it was a ton of fun. And I, all of it just worked seamlessly inside this episode. At least Mac knows that it's a ruse. This was the first of several notions where, obviously, Mac walks by and he's just like, uh, yeah, I don't think so, Cora. Have a good one. And just kind of dismisses her. You're an idiot. We're not going to fall for it. Have a right. good afternoon. And I, again, I so appreciated that because I... I it's it's the benefit of making these characters so impressive, but also making them, as you said at the beginning of this episode, smart. Because the people that are watching the show are also smart. Right. And the chemistry set that's built when you at least have that as a default set is incredibly valuable in a show like this. And it always pays off. And it always fosters everybody paying attention to what you're writing instead of you instantly needing to take some massive horse-sized disbelief pill. And you don't have any of that because you can. there's some kinship someplace, even if it's the bad guys, there's some kinship someplace inside of all the characters that are being used inside the storytelling. Making the best universe possible by killing. All right. Everyone aboard the liquefy mode train because Wilkerson's going for a ride. And I, I love that they even bother talking about stuff like this. The concepts of killing, hard choices. What about the easy, quote unquote, choices? It, again, it's so much fun because I realize we're in the final season, but the, the, what that actually means to people, well, what does that actually mean? And not so surprisingly, very quickly, we find out exactly what it means. It's one of those situations. It's the morality question. And, and it does end up in a lot of uh, time travel stories as well. Do you, do you stop something from happening that was horrible? I mean, do you, do you change the past? My wife and I are currently watching the second season of The Umbrella Academy mm -hmm. on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert. Uh, uh, season two revolves around they've traveled back in time to the early 1960s in Texas around the time of the Kennedy assassination. Sure. So they're going to meet up with Sam. So what do you do? Do you <laughs> do you change the future 
by saving President Kennedy. But if you do that, then you destroy space-time because that's not how things happen. And, and those are the questions that you have to ask. But if you don't care about the timeline, if you don't care about the consequences, then it really is the easy choice. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to save the president. Yes, I'm going to stop 9-11. Yeah. The, these, are the, these are the concepts that I, I think especially after we were delivered Endgame and I guess, again, spoiler alert, all of the questions and the decision points that one Steve Rogers would have faced sitting by idly knowing all of the history that he's either read about or experienced during the time where he was either frozen as a popsicle or after he was unfrozen as a popsicle. He's got all that history yeah. that's now melded inside of his, his own personal being. And so does he sit by when the towers fall? Does he not go to Dallas to make sure that somebody isn't at the corner window of the book depository? Uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. All of the things that instantly ring where if only something else would have happened. Well, you know what it is? It's Quantum Leap. The difference is that Quantum Leap played on, played and prayed on the people and the storytelling elements, whether they were famous or not, yeah. being put into a right place. So maybe it has been done, just not inside of a formal comic book where those massive things are instantly somehow abated by going in and making sure that they don't happen. Because that, that's something else to remember, too. Let's say you are Steve Rogers, and your first goal, we're just going to pick one because why not, is to try and save JFK. So what exactly is he going to do to save JFK? Is he going to go take the bullet himself because he can pretty much heal back from a shot that's not a headshot? That's uh -huh. uh, kind of what I'm saying is what would he actually do? The, the comic book or the uh, the series that you're talking about where they go back in time, if you knew that the president was going to get uh, shot and assassinated on that road, which I've been on in Dallas, at, uh, at that time on that day, what would you do? Would you would you call a cop and go, hey, the president's going to get murdered at 12 or 1103 or whatever the time was. He's going to be driving in uh, Dealey Plaza in Texas and he's going to get he's going to get murdered unless you guys do something. What exactly is going to happen then? How is that? Is that going to? Is that it? Is that is that your shot at preventing the shot? Are you going to go into the book depository room and make sure that whomever is there is not going to be shooting out of that window? And that that's that's the kind of gameplay that has to happen because something has to happen to prevent the future. You can't just prevent it because you know it. Well, right. You 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 have to put forth the efforts to change things. Right. You know, or or you just sit there and you witness history. Me personally, the more and more I've thought about it over the last year or so after Endgame is I don't think that Steve Rogers married Peggy Carter. He went back, he had his dance, and then he went on with his mission. Because let us not forget, he had six stones to to redeposit mm -hmm. throughout space and time. Right. There's no telling, and it's the whole reason why we don't get an answer you know, when yeah, Sam says, I, so you're going to tell me about that? No, I don't think I am. Because then it's giving the whole story away. Yeah. And we're left with just that scene of Cap dancing with Peggy. But it might just have been, hey, listen, time travel, crazy, I know. But I had to come and see you. I'm going, I'm going to be okay. Things are going to work out. But I had to come and see you. And I had to have that dance. Right. Because you are the love of my life. Right. And then he goes off and he does 
whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe he p- takes himself out of the equation to where the temptation to change things, you just take that temptation away by going somewhere else. Yeah. I, I Again, it's we, I've talked about this with Agent Kip a couple of times, too, and it, it's, it's so fascinating. Because as fast as I know we're not going to get Chris Evans to show us that that wonderful medley of what happens after he disappears to go and return the stones until we actually get to see it we're, we're not going to see that i think i think everybody can agree we're not going to see know. that i don't know never say never because you know 10 years from now if they give him enough money if the story's right steve rogers could return a little bit older a little bit wiser and we might see or get hints of that well i'm telling you that i would buy every comic book i would <laughs> i would buy tickets to people to, for people to go see the movie all of it because it's that luscious they they have created such a tapestry of character storytelling and it for those of you that are going to write in and go oh you just want to see more peggy carter whatever i get it that may be true but the fact is that I would love to see what happens with Cap and the story that we are not given because it's intoxicating to me. I absolutely want to know, not even so much if that is a wedding ring that he just happens to be wearing as a wedding ring. I want to know. I want to know it all. But to bring it back to the talking point, Steve Rogers doesn't necessarily know if changing history makes it better. Mm-hmm. And that is another reason why I feel like take the temptation away and and move to Alaska. Uh, not even Alaska. Who says he had to stay on Earth? Oh, uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, the sky is the limits. But anyway, but regardless of that, with our characters now, with Cora's proposal, mm-hmm. it is tempting. I mean, even if because I believe Yo-Yo was actually interested mm-hmm. in what Cora had to say. Yeah, I, and I, I would agree with that, not just because she's a speedster, but I think she's far more likely of the group to be interested in quick fixes. And not only quick fixes, but but the right fixes, because uh, this whole season, especially with Yo-Yo mm-hmm. and Deke, yeah. the whole putting things in a better place than where they found them, that's been a running theme with those two. Mm. So this makes sense for mm. her. But it's still not the right choice, or I should say, it's it's the easy choice. And and if it's too easy of a choice, the the hero will tell you if it's too easy of a choice, it's the wrong choice. Calling the calls before the calls arrive. No, this is this is what happens when you've got a damn robotic <laughs> soothsayer. Who can read the the patterns of the future? Yeah, this starts to get very very interesting, and it starts to make you ask questions. And I know lots of people, in particular, inside of a series of things I do during the day, that hate it when I ask questions, just like outright. It's like, why can't we just do it? Why do you have to ask questions? And the answer is because I have questions. What? (laughs) Why can't we talk about the questions before we actually move forward to do something? When in doubt, if there's not any, you know, earth-shattering peril, have some dialogue and talk some more things out so that you can have a clearer picture. And the fun part of this is that you can talk all you want. They already know what's going to happen. And then I love the little tweak that we get later on inside the episode where it actually enhances that situation. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Cora preys on blood. 
her sister's blood. This is excellent. If it wasn't cool enough already that Daisy is guilt-ridden as the episode starts, Cora actually piles on with providing the semblance of, I've always wanted a sister, a sibling that I could care for, blah. And it's it's a stroke. It's a master stroke, man. It's 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 perfect. It is the way into the light side by the dark side to get what you need, but only just so because when it's all said and done, we would love it for Daisy to have a relationship with her sister. Except that it's Coral with the horror powers. So sorry, no soup for you. And I love the dance that we do with that. I think that's fun. For me, actually, it's it's I, I, never at any point in time did I ever worry that Daisy was going to make the wrong choice mm-hmm. because even though you have the advantage of knowing the majority of the possibilities of the future, these bad guys are overconfident. And their overconfidence comes from the reliance on Sybil because Sybil has shown them the other timeline and these characters in that other timeline making these bad guys think that they know them. And they might a little. They've got behavioral cues and what they right. what decisions they might make based on the circumstances that are stimulating what's going on inside of whatever situation. Yes. Yeah. But that does not instantly give you everything about a character. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a few minutes for sure. A pivotal moment. There is no future where Daisy lets her sister fight alone. Man, this was wonderful. Knowing how quick Daisy whooped some Cora ass as she arrived... I thought that Daisy might kill Cora here. There's there's that small, silent beat where they're incredibly close to each other. And I thought that this was going to be the clarion call for Daisy makes a hard decision, but one that's easy. Because she's standing right there defenseless. I thought that that might have been a very interesting move at this at this point in the series. Because imagine the, imagine the top spinning that becomes for Daisy. Right. Right. Well, I mean, she has been, throughout this season, she has been willing to make that judgment call of take a life to make the future better. This this situation, all it would have been was her trying to take care of a little bit of that guilt. And luckily enough, it's, it's the actual words that Cora uses that starts Daisy down the path of, oh, I think I know how we can win. Excuse me, is this somehow a flashback show? Man, had to take a little pill there for a moment. Because not only are we in a bio bed, a la TNG, not only are we seeing flashbacks, although the worst TNG episode ever, we're seeing flashbacks. And that's when I started to get worried about this episode. Because as fast as it can go with all this great stuff that we've been talking about, Flashback stuffs, bottle episodes, all those wonderful little feature things are very, very tall orange cones <laughs> in the vein of Wilkerson's successful storytelling. Now, thankfully, they not only did they navigate them, they instantly quelled them by what they showed us inside of the flashback set by evoking Nathaniel in through it. Right. So instantly off goes any of the red flags or red alerts. Well, we've talked about flashbacks where this show is concerned, and anytime they've evoked flashbacks, 
they've always done it with great care. Mm-hmm. It propels it's, the story. Yeah, it's not a time filler. Exactly. It's yeah. not a time filler. And right. that is what usually a flashback episode yeah. is about. We, we've got 28 minutes of episode, and now all we need is 13 minutes of nothing. Aha! Previous episodes. Yeah. Yay! Let's grab some clips. Get the editor. Yeah. Where this is concerned, though, it... it it doesn't. I wouldn't even count this as a flashback episode because there's only oh, and I don't two either. examples. Don't, yeah, don't right, misunderstand right. my bullet point. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, I don't even. I wouldn't even consider putting it in the same like in the parking lot of the ballpark <laughs> that is flashback episodes, <laughs> because we get two examples of quick snippets of things from previous seasons, then we get all new material. Right. Right. Instant- it's still flashbacks yeah. for Gemma, yeah. but not for us because it's brand new information. Right. That new information is instantly the hot fudge on the Sunday that instantly makes it that much more delicious. And the cherry that's on top of that hot fudge fits. The cinematography is exquisite. Daisy and Sousa leave. Uh, there's exquisite cinematography going on inside the whole episode, pretty much. But this one piece, it, it's so simple. And it's when Daisy is leading the way and Sousa is very close behind. And they pan camera left and then up. And the, the camera move is so wonderful. It makes, the, it makes the space that they're in, which I'm certain was small, was probably smaller than what you and I are sitting in currently in our podcast studio. Probably, yeah. But it makes it look so massive and, and impressive. And it's dark. But the, the, the space that they were able to fill with the camera moving the characters, it was extraordinary. And again, that's not accidental. That's somebody, that's somebody that has at least a plan of what's going to get pulled off. And then a team of people executing a plan that I'm telling you was exquisite. You've flown a time? This repartee here with Sousa and Daisy is some of the best in the episode. And again, it's so short. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just as it's a it's an accidental fart in the wind of what's going on inside the episode, but it is glue. And it's it's that it's that wonderfully raspberry tasting glue that you know if you had a bottle of raspberry tasting glue, you probably wouldn't have a bottle of glue very long. Because this is it's wonderful. It's I'd like to talk to the manufacturer who thought it would be a good idea to flavor their glue <laughs> with raspberries cuz that's a health risk, sir. <laughs> That's definitely a health risk. Anyway, the the the, the gist is this: is that I I love it, I absolutely love it. The it's it's not that hard edged, insulting. Have you ever flown one of these before? It's not that at all. It's this playful joy thing where he's waiting for her to to go. Oh yeah, I got this, honey. Don't worry. Well, that never comes. Yeah. <laughs> it's another it's, example. It's, it's another example, and, and again, I've brought this up numerous times throughout this series. It's another example of putting humor in the story yeah. without it being for laughs. Yeah. It's not har har funny. It's situational funny. Yeah. And yeah. that is something that this show excels on because of the writing and then the performances. Of the actors acting out those words. Yeah, and the guy that Sousa in this, again, we, we've already confirmed it, but this guy's got so much game. Hell, the whole thing even continues when Max shows up. Right. And kind of, oh, 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 
Dad's here. Oh, he's gonna. We gotta take, give the keys and, back. Right. And then he's like, and Dad's got his shotgun axe. It's Let's like, go. Well, <laughs> h- how do you like this? And you know, approved. Now get out of that damn seat before I change my mind. Yeah. Again, Loved it. humorous. Yeah. But not a guffar like. Ah, ha, 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 ha. No, we don't have to have something like that for something to be funny. Yeah. And this show does that so well. Doesn't Sybil already have the book of how this all goes down anyway? Technically, no. She has the possibilities. Right. So she has numerous solutions. Right. She has a book that every chapter is a possible how it ends. Right. And she doesn't know exactly which one is going to be the right one. Right. This is where you're going to have to stretch your brainy on... Uh, especially what they proposed as endgame theory in that there is a divergent timeline, which you've already confirmed and greenlit inside this episode anyway. Yeah, I mean, in bright letters, yeah. they they, act, they say it. It's like... Everything that you've known is no longer. Right, it's done. Yeah, and and I so appreciated that because it's it's what will it's what would have been missing had they not done that. And again, I, I so appreciated it. And what I also love too is that this is the conversation that... We're all of us able to go to a Denny's at 2 a.m. anymore and have, I don't know, a strange conversation within three feet of each other. Mm. Then this is one of the things that we would be talking about for hours. Oh, right, right. And I love that. Again, it kind of goes back to my my questioning mind and how I do love dialogue. I don't it's not that I I love loquaciousness, but I do love a good dialogue. And this is one of the the concepts that would propel that for without question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and I and I love this. I love this because it makes me think of the things I love. And it, it's so well done. The soundtrack as the Quinjet arrives in space. Uh, this isn't any kind of strange magic. We know the value of soundtracks and we always have. Right. And this episode uses silence and appropriate, incredibly subdued soundtrack probably perfectly. Mm. I really do believe that. There are all kinds of thunderous moments inside of this episode that could instantly turn into extravaganzas with Hans Zimmer and thundering drums. We don't get any of that. Yeah. And the disappointing thing about it is, is that if you've actually looked at the Emmy nominations for this year, (laughs) there is a ton of sci-fi, fantasy, adventure Mm. stuff nominated. Yeah. I mean, the the two top nominees mm-hmm. are Watchmen from HBO, mm-hmm. okay, and The Mandalorian. Oh wow, Mandalorian got it right too. And and guess not, what? Not doesn't oh. have any nominations whatsoever. <laughs> uh, this f-ing show. Yeah. What the hell, yeah. Hollywood? I'm I'm not sure, but the uh, again the total tip of the cap to the people that are generating the soundtrack, whether it's. Whether it's Bear McCreary or some of Bear McCreary's minions or however it's being developed, it really is tremendous. It really is a, a heartfelt stroke of the musical buttons that are being pressed inappropriately that really does pay off inside this episode. Cora's power and Sybil's plan becomes clear. This was tremendous, and I do love that, with some reservation, the plan is evil. Mm-hmm. And that there is a plan. And what I loved a lot about what goes on inside this episode was everything Cora, From the moment she got on the ship to the dialogue that she has. I, I think what's striking about Cora and her performance 
is that these characters have been on the show forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She instantly takes up the gauntlet and starts having verbal judo with them, and sh- there's no step lost at all. Nothing. And I find that incredibly satisfying as a viewer. Because if you find the wrong actress for Cora, if you find the one that just does not have that I don't know what, this all falls apart, all of this inside this episode. Right, yeah. And again, there is not one moment at all that is either melodramatic, that is weak, or overflowy of any kind that isn't appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I find that I find that amazing for an actress we've known for what four episodes, maybe. Yeah, and this is the first episode that we've got as much time with her as we have so uh, far this season, as well as the gamut of emotion, which also is incredible inside this episode. Mm-hmm. Cora reminds me of the opposite of Ruby. Ooh, well said. And I'm not saying that you know she's she's you know she's, she's better the than Ruby. Yeah. It's the, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Ruby. Ruby's character was she had, uh, in her mind, a destiny. Yes. To stop the destroyer. Yes. Who she thought was Quake. Yes. And because of her upper the upbringing from her mother, Mm -hmm. she was single minded in her mission. Mm -hmm. Whereas Cora is it's the complete opposite end. It's Cora was loved and nurtured. Until she went through pterogenesis and became a walking bomb. And then it turned into, no, you have to, you just stay inside, honey. Just, no, no, you can't, just stay inside. Yeah. Cora becomes this guilt-ridden for having these, these abilities and being such a danger. And then somebody comes along and just twists up all those emotions and unleashes all of the frustration, pain, anger and hate that is festered inside of her to turn her into this living weapon Mm -hmm. just like ruby was ruby Mm -hmm. was a living weapon only the motivations and how they got there completely different but very similar when you boil the two characters down and i love the fact that i'm comparing two female villains because this show And there's a laundry list of things that it gets right. And one of the top ones is how they handle their female characters. Yeah. Hero, villain, or in between. Yeah. Yeah. Again, total game on for developing a a frame and a mindset that fosters female characters, but also fosters the story beyond everything that might even try to push an agenda. Mm. It's story. That's it. It, everything that is being showcased here is story laden. Is story and Period other paragraph. other shows, other shows. I don't think they they handle the story without Direction. tipping their. Well, they yeah. tip their hand. They show their hand, and yeah. oh look, it's agenda. Yeah. And, and I get that we need, and, and and I'm I'll say this: we need agenda in our media and in our entertainment. We need that because for too long. We've been complacent to just veg out. Even our entertainment needs to teach us something, either about the world we live in or ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if it's really good, both. Both happen, right. And, I, I agree with that. And, agree. And, and some shows just do it so ham-fisted. Yeah. But this show, this show, you never have to worry about that. Reading the messages 
a little bit of bathos that leads to a solution. We've actually referred to this a couple of times already, but I wanted to make sure that we hit it with a hard stroke here in that the use of bathos, which is that that addition of humor that is situationally appropriate, mm-hmm. is played wonderfully numerous times inside this episode. It's the safety valve that lets off a little bit of pressure for you to move on to the next thing. And it's all appropriate. That's what's missing inside of not only just other television shows, but frankly, I think a lot of other feature films from Marvel where there is bathos and it's inserted, but it's inserted to get a guffaw laugh rather than it's serving the story and or the situation that the story is being presented in. Mm. And so, again, giant kudos to the writer staff and the creators that are using it here terribly appropriately multiple times. Nathaniel jumping into Simmons' mind. This is fun. And what I loved about most of this is that it's fun and it is stupid simple. Don't have to have a lot of CGI. Don't have to have a lot of dancing lights, though there were some dancing lights. Don't have to have some sort of 3D, twisty, turny, mechanical DNA sequence sort of shown thing on a screen or in 3D where we're actually seeing as it all is happening. You don't have to have any of that. All you have is him laying down in the bed as the camera is panning down from above both of them in the bio bed and then snap to what's going on. That's it. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be this marvel of, oh, my God. Remember, remember Jurassic Park and the dinosaur reveal? I do. Oh, and do you remember that piece of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the last se- season, season seven? It doesn't have to be like that. It can just be simple because it all fosters the storytelling. Can't Korra just torch everyone instantly? This is something that I thought about. Well, I think actually the first time that she came in. And I know it's my fevered pitch and insatiable lust for liquefy mode from everybody that has powers. (laughs) But thankfully, later on inside this episode, we actually see exactly what Korra is viable and able to do. The thing is, though, is that this scene technically... If, if you don't think about the overall picture, and I'll get there. I'll get to the overall picture. Oh, good. This is essentially because Cora <laughs> could just vaporize everybody mm-hmm. if she wanted to. Now, of course, she has to charge up and then release, and people would probably run away, and some would probably survive a little bit. Right. But the point is is that this is this is very similar to the why are you throwing your opponent across the room instead of just killing him, which yeah. we all know from listening to this podcast for years, that Mike Haiti, the throwy. <laughs> and I totally understand. And this is that situation. It's like, why play these games when if your if your goal is to destroy shield, just go Start boom. Destroying shield. Just right. go boom. Yeah. And the and when you look at the bigger picture, so see I told you I was getting back to it. Mm-hmm. The bigger picture is not destroy shield for Sybil now. It's, I want to hurt these people. I'm still going to destroy S.H.I.E.L.D. I want these agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to watch everything they know and love burn around them. And it becomes so much more sinister, especially from an artificial being Mm -hmm. like a Chronicom. 
What I think what I love most about this is that I, I'll ride your coattail on this idea. I totally agree with all of that. But what I would compare it to is that rather than having to drop the mother of all bombs in the middle of insert city name, what we can do is use our tactical smart weapons to go and get rid of the pieces that we know we need to not have in place anymore so that whatever chess game we want to play, we don't have to worry about the pieces that can actually hurt us. And so it's a piece of that too. And again, that's why I love this. Uh, not only do I love this, I love later on inside the episode where we start to see it enacted by Korra. Holy chest cavity, Batman. I realize this is the MCU and not DC, but it's appropriate. And Well, look at his chest. It's it's holy. <laughs> well, thank you, Robin. I appreciate that. The, the, the bottom line here is that holy chest cavity. Look at exactly what we were talking about. Uh, this instantly amps up the peril inside the episode. It can't get more perilous than this. Look at the girl that was, and I am not kidding, girl. Look at the girl standing in front of this dude, and now that dude, you can read a book through him. <laughs> you could toss books through him like a carnival game. That's what goes on here, and it is it is singularly impressive. It's, and, 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 and no holds barred. I think that's what I appreciate about every time they've done something like this, in particular inside this show. Uh, even if it's something as quick as, in particular, the sample, the most recent sample would be Lee, where Lee's death, Lee's death is not quick and off camera at all. It is a horrific Bernie death that nobody wants to, nobody wants that quote kind of mercy. Right, I know I don't. Right. And I, I love that they, they pull no punches at all where they could just make it where she lifts her hand and they zoom in on soon to be dead guy number seven. There's a flash on Dead Guys number seven. He opens eyes, his eyes wide, and he slumps to the ground as there's smoke smoldering from his chest. That's how this could have gone. Uh, that's not how this goes at all. At one point, there is no holy chest cavity, and then there is big, massive chest cavity that you and I and everybody in a circle is throwing books through like a carnival game. The value of definitive action and decisions in a final season. This is, uh, this is kind of just giving, again, a nod to, okay, so agent number seven, you die. And that being a decision. It's, it's just something that happens. And by the way, this is the final season. And you're totally okay with it because it's a piece of storytelling that is now even more endearing. While it's not one of our main cast, it is someone that we do care about. It's a, it's a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that was given powers by the bad guys and the queen bad guy just murdered that dude. And so the, the, the peril of everything gets amped up instantly because of the choice of definitive action and the decisions being made inside of a final season of a show. I love that. I, I, I love that there is definitive action here. Well, I, I don't know if I would go so far as saying I care about the ex-shield folk who didn't end up dying in this timeline because one of the reasons why Cora kills him is because he's not a good person. He wasn't a good person before Nathaniel Malick saved him from dying in this timeline. Uh, the whole reason why he was saved is because he was somebody. Sybil told Nathaniel, hey, save this guy's life. Give him the whole song and dance about, ah, oh, but before in the other timeline, you would have been, you're, you're done. Your story's over. Now I'm giving you a second chance at life, and now you're going to work for me. And, and that's pretty much all everybody that he's brought to his side it's actually the argument that may and colson try to bring to cora to try to get her to see reason mm -hmm. 
the thing is though is that where core is concerned you, you, you i don't know if i ever felt like maybe there was a way to get her back from the dark side yeah i, I, I really didn't care right because i don't want her as a good guy i don't want her sacrificing herself and if she ends up sacrificing herself to save daisy in the final episode and she dies and blah, blah, I might groan a little bit, depending on how it's done. Mm -hmm. But I would rather have this character stand by her convictions, which we see her do throughout this entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I, I would jump on, on the back end of that as well and just go, I too see a little bit of that. And, oh, so they're going to get Cora to turn on Nathaniel. That does start here. But what I love is that it there's never a point where you go, ah, and so she took the hook. Right, right. There's never a time inside the episode where you feel that at all. Grant friggin' Ward. Time to kill a kid. We we had His postulated. Name has been evoked. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, three episodes before the end of the season. And His so, name has been evoked. Right. And that his name has been evoked instantly satisfies the Nick and Mike's factor. So check friggin' box. Loved it. Again, if, if if ever there was a sample where you could go, ah, so it's time to murder a kid. Which kid is the most influential inside of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Nick and I were talking about this four episodes ago, something crazy like that. And here it is. And I love that. Yeah. I, I, what I also love is that it's brought up in a way that none of us thought of. We, we didn't think that Grant would be somebody that gets killed. We thought he would get tapped. And then would be solicited to come aboard and and be a member of the maniacal society of brotherhood of right. assholes. Right. Back when and, we thought that this season was going to be time jumps. Well, and, and, more importantly, not only time jumps and going back and seeing the younger versions of people that we have met. So even if it isn't Brett Dalton, i.e., they've gone and gotten I don't know Brett Dalton's kid, who somehow <laughs> who somehow would be in his twenties. I don't know. Anyway, the. The, the, just that he's evoked here is a giant checkbox for me. And again, it is a it is a giant piece of the phone book that is being utilized to craft communication with the fans of this show. And Mike Wilkerson loves the writers of this program. Thank you. Fitz finally shows up this season. Well, and there he is. Thank you. Yes. That that's tremendous. I think the only thing I love more than him showing up, he says almost nothing. Oh, I, I mean, he's barely. It, it really, when you when you boil down the amount of time he's on screen, it's it's less than four minutes. It it is amazing what is accomplished here with either him on screen or just speaking, because it is brilliant, exemplified by specifically or not the choice of music. Or, really, the lack thereof when Fitz says, or not, inside this episode, is magic. If you're looking for true magic inside of an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., go back and watch this real quick. And watch it a couple times, and then come back to the podcast real quick. And now that you've watched it three or four times, it's magic. It is such a solid piece of storytelling, because this could have been the triumphant come up with the Indiana Jones march in rides fits moment because we haven't seen him this season. You get none of that. You get none of that hailing the man that will save us all. Nothing. 
you get none of that. And in addition to not getting any of that, what you also get is maybe we just won't save the day. And I love that. I absolutely love it that there is a postulation inside the man that's got the brain where it's just, you know what? Let's just pull a cap. Let, let's just live our lives. Well, I see. Now, I, I didn't read it that way. Well, how I did read you read it, it? They have all the time in the world because they're building a time machine. Mm -hmm. I read it as, since we have all the time in the world, let's take some time for ourselves mm. because we don't know how this is going to work out once we start interesting it may have just been my 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 lust to want to see some fitness but well right right the the the, the fact that they frankly either way the either way works i think that enough information was given during these non flashbacks uh, about what fitz and simmons were doing during that time while they were building the machine the time machine that it opens up the possibility of so much. So much is said in those few words between mm -hmm. these two characters yeah. that make you think, how long were they outside of time building the time machine? A few months, a few years, a, a lifetime? Mm -hmm. And then how was it all ripped away from them? Right. And we get all of those 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 thoughts in just these two short, quick scenes. Right. And I, I would I would literally call them with except for the context of how they serve in the episode, nothing burger scenes. Yeah, they, yeah essentially. There's all kinds of great acting that's going on inside of them, but if they were just plucked out of the, what's going on inside the story, they're not much to write home about. No, I mean, they really don't tell you anything right. specific. Right. And I think that was the value of them mm -hmm. in that when, uh, again, it goes back to the concept of inside of my in intro inside of this episode, which is the countdown has begun. Nothing, nothing good is happening. And so why are we delivered with these nothing burger scenes? And the answer is because these nothing burger scenes lead to some of the most important pieces of probably not just the episode, but the season. Time for a truth sandwich. Mommy's dead and can't be brought back. This was great. Not because we get to see Cora blow her stack and have a bloodlust for Nathaniel, which is exactly where, what, 99.9999% of any other television show would have gone. Okay, it's time for Cora to now sick some revenge on the man that murdered her father. And that, of course, is what, May was hoping for. Right. She was hoping that this will be the this thing be that the gets Cora to get her on our side. Right, right. And you don't get that. And you don't get that. And you, you finally <laughs> understand that it's not necessarily a hold that Nathaniel has. It's a need that Cora has to believe in something, or I should say someone. It's not that Nathaniel has his hooks in her and is manipulating her. He is. But when it comes down to it, it's more about I want to believe in something. And yes, I loved my mother, but she stopped believing in me to the point to where I wanted to end my life. And then he came he came out of nowhere and saved me. I believe in him. So if he killed my mother, it was for a good reason. A simple white room 
and a memory wipe. How theatricality matters. We've said it a couple of times. I think probably when we first met Sybil, so when we first mentioned the white or the use of a white room, it's not the same white room, but the the, the ease and use of a white room, in particular when we're dealing with Fitz, whom we've not seen in ten episodes, ten episodes plus, is a striking achievement, especially how it's used here and how simply it's used. In that, rather than having some generated three D green screen esque experience thing we're not going to have any of that it's going to be a simple white room it's going to be a couple of actors and some camera move and that's it and this is glorious it is easily one of the most impressive pieces of this episode because of the length of the scene but most importantly because of how it's used as a transitional piece inside the episode I was struck by this it was very very cool Time for the greatest show on earth. That's ominous. Yeah. This is very interesting. And it's where it's where you have to think to yourself, where where can this all go? We're fifty thousand miles from Earth. That for those of you that are curious, that's one fifth of the way to the moon. Uh, we are out of any range of any existing uh, shield tech. The path to victory cannot be impeded by anything that we're aware of. And so it's time to march on. So what does this exactly mean, greatest show on earth? And I think what was the most impressive, we've talked about it several times again, it's none of what Nathaniel does here at all is monologuing. None of it. Never once is it the the sage end of the Incredibles movie where it's Syndrome with the crazy hair and the black mask and sitting there talking to people, sharing his plan because you'll never be able to break my plan. None of that. that. None of that is here. And I think, and I've always thought, that when that is absent, you're instantly making something that is far more perilous and dangerous and threatening because you literally don't know what the hell is going to happen next. Yeah, also... This is the first time we actually see the chinks in Nathaniel's armor. because, and, and he actually says it in dialogue. It's after he slaps Simmons before he dives into her brain and says, uh, and it kind of like half apologizes, says, I guess I'm just used to getting what I want. Uh, let us not forget, Nathaniel Malik is a spoiled little rich kid. Oh, yeah. Who pretty much had a silver spoon in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And was never denied anything. Then all of a sudden, not only does he get superpowers, but then hooks up with a robot that tells him the future and how to control the world around him. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry about anything. That's why he's able to walk with that swagger of uh, yeah. essentially a cult leader. Yeah. Until no, totally this episode when he can't get what he wants and that fits his location because then he just starts a tantrum yeah like a child one of his henchmen who calls him sir just kills him outright kills him the kylo ren moment that he has there is totally appropriate because up until now he's been able to keep a pretty good lid on anything that kind of goes sideways one because he's known the plan right but two because he knows that the decisions that he has made whether they're influenced decisions by Sybil and the Sybil book 
or ones that he's just chosen because he thinks there's the they're the best path for what's valuable. All of those have paid off for him. And the instant it doesn't go his way, instant Kylo Ren moment. Yeah. It's the and, same thing with bullies. Yes. The moment you I stand totally up to them, they crumble. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. And this is, um, again, this is another pinnacle moment for Nathaniel and the actor that is Nathaniel. Because even in the most tantrum-esque pinnacle of killing this dude that calls him sir for no particular reason except he said the word sir it's not melodramatic it totally fits the character that's been crafted by this dude and it's perfect oh shit yet another fail safe who's fits mind blown i yeah it's like oh <laughs> i'm like wow oh man how how it, it, what I also so if love, the Chronicom doesn't kill you, your brain's just going to be erased of all knowledge of your husband. Wow. Yeah. What I also love is the glide into this. I can't even call it a scene. The glide into this two part dialogue that hits before a break is tremendous mm -hmm. because there's no glide up to it. There's no sanctimonious music. There's no emotional tear-jerking diatribe before it. Nothing. It's just that you realize that right now, instead of right then, you know, a second ago, Gemma now has zero memory of fits and have that on a bun for a couple of bites. Wow. Just a, a tremendous delivery here inside of the show. What I also loved is that the gal that plays Simmons, what a perfect delivery of this line. Again, not overly dramatic, not stupefied, but right in the middle where it needed to be. Absolutely perfect. Cora makes May Neo. This was fun. I'm referring, of course, to the, the bend over backwards bullet time moment with Cora's energy strike that misses and then destroys completely the wall behind May. That obviously had that hit May probably would have left nothing of her upper half. Right, there'd be no May. Right, and actually, if there'd been any other character in that situation, there wouldn't be that character. Yeah, but it was Melinda May. Yeah, and again, just striking. It shows exactly what kind of peril is going on here. But more importantly, it shows the power of Cora and how her powers, over the course of an incredibly short period of time, have been honed into a laser. A literal laser strike that nothing can stop. Except maybe Cap Shield. Johnny Bamps and steals Cora. This was also another wonderful transitional moment that I would compare, believe it or not, to any one of the wonderful transitions that happen in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's that perfect a transition from where, okay, so what needs to happen here? Well, obviously, we need Johnny to bamf in, grab Cora, and bamf out. And there it is. And it's perfect. It's laid perfectly inside the storytelling. There doesn't need to be any explanation. There are the wonderful effects that they've got for the bamfing effects, and that's it. And it's over. Right. And I love that. I, I love that it's so quick, and it's done, and on to the next thing. Quake's moniker revisit. This is another brilliant piece with Sousa and Mac. And again, another almost father-like conversation where, believe it or not, Mac does have a shotgun with him. <laughs> well, right. And, and I loved it. 
I absolutely loved it. I've loved both of these actors, not just because of the people that they are inside the show, but because of who they exude as these characters inside the show. And I love that both of them stand on their own two feet. There's never a time where Sousa backs down because he's scared. He backs down because he wants to show respect. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm elated to see that. There was never a time where it's ominous chocolate man is somehow imposing over the recently fixed up, screwed up leg, white done guy. Who's far too old. It was never that it was always that there are two shield agents and they're having a conversation about someone that they both care deeply about. One just happens to have known her longer than the other one. And the 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 obvious need for respect that Sousa finds and delivers from the onset is perfect. It's almost a game that Mac plays on the beginning of it. He wants to find out his true intentions. He literally says those words. All right. It catches Sousa off guard. And that's the other thing I think I loved about this, too, is that Mac is showing some of his magical skill sets with people that I don't think have really been revealed all that often during the series. So it was fun to see him here with this. It's not his superpower. It's just a trait. And he's able to recognize it because he's so endeared to, to, to Daisy. I, I loved it all. I loved it all. A shutter in space. Reinforcements arrive. Holy shit, Nick, it's the Chronicoms. What could possibly happen that's good with starships that arrive that are the Chronicoms? And the answer is... Not a whole lot. Nope. And they, of course, take their their places in orbit. And... Talking Tech. A spanning map that continues to go dark. Inside of the Talking Tech moment for this episode, we're, of course, talking about a map that I think a lot of us have become kind of familiar with. It's a dark map with yellow outlines of continents, and in this case, shield logos that indicate cities, that indicate where shield bases are, that are now being eradicated one by one by one. And the count that I'm using there is not too far off of the succession of uh, volleys that are fired inside of what we're looking at inside the series. And it's devastating. They even give you the, the whole reverse Terminator 3 John Connor moment where John Connor grabs her and goes, this is John Connor. Is there anybody out there? And I've forgotten which which of the also on ham radio people answer, but they answer and, my God, there's hope. And inside of this one, it's kind of the reverse, where there is a, a call from one of the many shield, uh, shield bases, and it's some guy going, yeah, oh, it's so good to hear from you, and, and then there isn't any more. And then there isn't another one. And then there isn't another one. And then there isn't another one. And it's devastating. It's an absolutely devastating scene that I don't think can be matched, all of which is pulled off by an incredibly straightforward series of not just perfect CGI shots, but this map that is easily the talking tech moment inside this episode. That's where we ask you guys, what was your talking tech moment inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what was your favorite talking tech moment. The Triskelion Falls. We've seen it in so many movies now. It is etched in our brains as a staple of everything S.H.I.E.L.D. 
And it is one of the first things that we see go towards the end as we push to just before the stinger inside this episode where it is no more. Funny thing is, it's not even supposed to exist at this point in time anyway. Right, right. But then to see it destroyed. But with one shot. Well, it's alien technology, man. Right. When aliens come a-calling in the 80s, when you don't have the Avengers, when you've got S.H.I.E.L.D. that kind of got some tech, but they're, they're, hell, they weren't even all that high tech in the 90s during the Captain Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no hope. Yeah. Aliens have invaded. Kiss your ass goodbye. I'd never thought we'd get a Cora and Nathaniel macking at the end scene. I did not gauge this at all. And I think that's why I like it. I If you'd have told me, okay, this this episode is going to end, um, how about we have uh, Cora and Nathaniel macking? How about that? I would have never thought we'd gone there. So I'm curious to see what's going to develop. Are they now going to have a couple of thrones in a room inside the Zephlorian someplace in the next episode? Well, I... I don't, I don't think so. But uh, let's not get over dramatic, Mike, because <laughs> we know this show won't get over dramatic. Right. But what I'm saying though is that if the whole, I, if, I, if I this was some other program, that's exactly what would happen. Well, there would be a there would be a black wedding. This episode stinger, it was was designed specifically for the audience to go. Okay, now we're going to see Cora take out Nathaniel and take up her rightful place as leader because he killed mom and we don't get that right it's not nothing that anybody said down in the lighthouse had any effect on her whatsoever we get the culmination of oh yet another reason why cora is so blindly faithful to nathaniel is there's also a romantic connection right so now now you've got loyalty faith and love you might as well just just call it quits right now because there is no conflict there's not there's not going to be a conflict (laughs) right now i I could be wrong and if they write it well enough and there is a conflict oh okay i am totally willing to be proven wrong We've talked about a bunch inside this episode. We're running long, but we're going to take a break here quickly during the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. We will be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com for most friday the 13th means jason Voorhees. what a lot of people don't know however is that there was another friday the 13th the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. 
That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Corps. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, we're focusing on the review of Season 7, the final season, Episode 11, Brand New Day. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to open our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. The S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I focus on either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element, or something else that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Well, my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier is filled with something that we we never, not even glossed over, we didn't even talk about at all mm. during the review of this episode, and it is L.M. Coulson's new superpower. So, yeah, he spent almost two years as code. So, of course, now he can kind of sort of read code. And he's able to at least hold off Sybil for just a short period of time. But the fact of the matter is, is that he then develops that power because why wouldn't he? He he, he is a machine. Mm-hmm. It, it should be second nature. It should be one of his power sets. Right. And Yo-Yo comes in and is like, what are, what are you, a computer genius now? Yes. <laughs> and that's all you need. You got that deadpan Clark Gregg expression. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he goes back to work. Yeah. In, in another show, something like that would have been used as just filler. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so what are we going to have Coulson do? It, it would have been that the, the hacking, the hacking checkbox inside of another episode. Uh, essentially, it would have been Daisy. Daisy would have been doing something computer-wise to keep Sybil out for as long as she could. Mm-hmm. Daisy's not there. Mm-hmm. So, sure, somebody else has to develop the ability to work with computers. The only person, logically, if you think about it, would be L.M. Coulson because, ding, 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 he is an artificial life form. Right. And me explaining it that way sounds terribly stupid. Mm -hmm. But guess what wasn't terribly stupid? This scene. And that is why it is my dossier. Uh, I'll heap on that one as well. I thought it was brilliantly portrayed and and doubly so with a with a hey knucklehead note from even dialogue from from Ellen Coulson is what they show as it all happens and then May starts reading the lines uh, and he literally goes you, you know you don't really have to read the lines it doesn't do anything for me I, 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 <laughs> I, I can read English so you know I, I'm good thanks I, I loved it and it was perfect again it was not that stupid har har stuff it was terribly appropriate and it's whatever what all of us were thinking it's like I yeah I'm like can I'm I like read that? It's, oh, wait, it's it's, it's not coming out in code to where we'd get the little uh the matrix well, no no uh the subtitles 
she's just reading it out loud because she can. <laughs> and yet, here we are. We're sitting here thinking this, and L.M. Colson speaks for the audience yeah. and, and pretty much tells her, Please stop doing up. that. I mean, yeah. we're good. Thanks. And I thought, yeah. I thought that that was wonderful. I thought that was wonderful. And now that you've stolen my... Oh, was that reasonably yours? Oh, I'm not showcase so that I could have it all to myself. Oh well, <laughs> I guess I'll have to rack my brain about I don't know the other thousand things that were great about this episode. My dossier for this episode is super clear. It is not showing the Chronicoms aboard the Chronicom ships. Inside of probably any other show, you would have gotten the static captain's chair shot of a view screen of somebody inside of the ship that then looks over at their not-shown navigator and gives the fire command button, like Picard saying engage, to the person that's not seen off-screen. No, we don't get any of that. Hmm. We, we get none of that. And all we get are these stark-looking starships that rain death onto thousands of people in sequential order as they see fit. And I love the peril that that puts everybody in. Because in an instant, anybody is who can be targeted is now instantly not going to be around as soon as somebody says so. I, I think it's an incredible notch up for peril that we, we could not have guessed this even five episodes ago on something like this. We've talked about this several times and why we love this show. And the reason I love this show is because I have no idea where we're going. I have no idea where we're going. Right, right. We are two episodes from being done with this show forever and I've no idea where we're going. That was my shield dossier. What's your shield dossier? Let us know by going over to our website over at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Ah, the rating for this episode of Marvel's Agents of Shield on ABC and Hulu streaming. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. Being able to say the word quink without laughing. A one is on the other side of the scale, being turned into a puddly pile of molten goo by a Cora blast. Everything starts as a seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negative. And Nick, there are no halvesies. What do you got, Nick? While I was watching this episode, in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, so what's your rating going to be for this? And... Were you really thinking, what is my rating going to be for this? Yeah. Okay. I just, always think about that. Just checking. I always think about that. I take the rating very seriously. <laughs> oh. You don't? You should. And following your rules. <laughs> no, here we go. Where everything starts at a seven. It, everything does start at a seven. Yes. Even though there are so many great things going on, it's not impactful uh it's not popcorn eating popcorn and shoving it down your your throat in a movie theater impactful no it's dramatic yes there's a lot of it so i'm holding off i'm like okay this is a really great episode and cool things are happening but it's a nine it's got to be a nine i can only give this a nine because mind-blowing hasn't happened even when fitch showed up i'm like oh my god this is a nine plus 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 even when Simmons forgets Fitz. Plus, 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 plus. It's not until the end of the episode when the Chronicoms start raining down hell and wiping out 
shield that I go, how do we come back from this? There's, there's no way to come back from this. And at that moment, I wasn't even paying attention to the stinger at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. I'm still in shock. It's like shield is gone except for our team. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. So of course I have to rate this a 10. Yeah. Your breakdown is incredibly apropos. I, 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 I kind of look at it this way. We, we got to about, well, frankly, we got to Cora burning a hole in a dude. And I'm like, okay, so starting at 11? Is that where we're going here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, how, what, else can this, what else can this show do that's awesome? For, before everybody writes not in. Only, not only awesome, but something awesome we haven't seen right, yet. Right, that fosters the story and doesn't suck. Right, right yeah, right. I totally agree. Because it's like, hey, look, let's shoot the earth in half. Oh, wait, we've already done yeah, that Yeah, we've one. already had crumbs of Earth. Right. <laughs> so that's not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, here we are in space. So yeah, we've been in you got? We've been in space, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. so, so come on. And and, and so the, you and I were exactly on that same precipice. It takes me back to the same time when we learned that not only was Hydra a problem, Hydra has been a problem. Yeah. And I, I the reason I, I that was so impactful for me when it first happened was because I can remember the comic books where they started making Cap a, a, a Hydra agent. And I remember the hatred that was reigned on the writing staff and the creative staff because that was the choice that was made. We've gotten, my opinion, we've gotten none of that from the whole shield. Shield is the sprouted butterfly of Hydra. Ding, ding, ding. And then the cool twist of this season, which is throwing all of that on its on its absolute forehead and then trying to move forward from that. And there is no hatred at all from that. So it's like, so w what on earth do we do now? And the answer is, we destroy S.H.I.E.L.D. completely? Well, yeah. That's exactly what would happen inside of this series of scenarios that instantly is the next step towards what they want. So 10... That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode? Season 7, episode 11, Brand New Day. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought of this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We're thankful you were able to review this covert communication reviewing the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately, facebook.com forward slash S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes, Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. Formal sound check, maestro. Well, but I just feel informal. I really don't want to do a formal sound check. I'm wearing a t-shirt. I'm not going to put on 
top hat and tails for you. Let's get to the tux of the position. Uh, oh, wow. Dad jokes. Like that? You've got dad, dad jokes. Dad jokes. Not so awesome. <sighs> Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hurd, your other host. One more time. What was wrong with that? It sounded like you had a little skippery in there. Oh. Did it. I did. Skippery. I guess you can use one of the hundreds skippery? of other episodes we've made. And I am Chesty LaRue. <clears throat> 